Amen. All right, well, we're there in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. I'd like you to keep your place there. We're going to come right back to it. But if you would, go with me just real quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. We're going to come back to 2 Corinthians 4. But go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, just flip one book back. And of course, last week we started a brand new series in the new year entitled Winning the Race of Life. And we're going through these passages that the Apostle Paul wrote where he emphasizes... uh, winning, and he uses these illustrations, these sports metaphors, and he's given us principles for winning, and what we're learning is biblical principles to help us win at life, and I'm not going to re-preach last week's sermon. If you uh, missed it, I would encourage you to go on our website or YouTube channel, and you can get caught up, but I do want to remind you that last week we began this series by learning or talking about the fact that we cannot win at life until we've determined what winning is in life. And we talked about these clarifying questions. We talked about going through the major areas in our lives and asking, what does it look like to win in your life? What's the win in your life? We also gave this question maybe to help you get some traction. If you could write down your own life story, what would you write? What would it be? What does winning look like in your life? And we talked about that last week. Today, We're going to add a second layer uh, to that thought, a second layer to that thinking, and I'll just tell you up front, today's big idea is this. If you and I are going to win at life, then we must choose the eternal over the temporal. If we're going to win at life, we must choose the eternal over the temporal. Now, last week, we went through 1 Corinthians 9.24, and we developed most of it, but I want you to notice there's a part that we didn't talk about uh, last week that I want to talk about this week, and there's a part we won't talk about this week that we'll talk about next week. But I want you to notice verse 24. This should be familiar to you from last week's sermon. Paul said this, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all? And he gives us a question, which we would all say, Yes, Paul, we understand how a race runs, how a race works. He says, Don't you know that when people run in a race, when you get all these runners together and line them up and you say on your mark, get set, go, and they take off. Don't you know, he says, that when some people run in a race, they all run, but one receiveth the prize. He says, they all run, but one wins. And then Paul says this, he says, with that understanding, I want you to so run. I want you to so run that ye may obtain. And he says, look, you got to live your life in a way that you're living your life to win. He said, so run that ye may obtain, that you may win the prize. Verse 25, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. We'll come back to that idea next week. But I want you to notice these words. He says, now they do it. They do it, and again, he's talking about this, these runners, and of course, he's speaking to the Corinthian church, and they would be familiar with Olympic-type games and running-type games and things like that, and he says, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. He says, look, when you watch, Paul is talking to his first century audience here. And again, they would be familiar with coliseums and with races and with uh, uh, people winning and all these things. And he says, when you watch, when you watch these athletes out on the field and they run all, but one receiveth the prize, he says, when you watch them get awarded, they do it. He says, they do what they do. They give their time, their energy, their effort to win, but the crown that they win, that crown that's placed on their heads, he says, is a corruptible crown. And what he means by that is this, he's saying, that crown is not going to last. That crown is going to break down. That crown is going to deteriorate. That crown will 
uh, will, will not last uh, through eternity. He says, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. And he says, but we, an incorruptible. And here's what he's telling the church at Corinth. He's telling them, if you're going to run that ye may obtain, if you're going to win in life, then you better make sure, like we talked about last week, that you understand what winning looks like in your life and that you understand what it even means to win. But then he says, let's add another layer on top of that just to make sure that you're not running in the wrong race. He says, you need to make sure that you're running not for a corruptible crown, but for an incorruptible. He says, you need to make sure that you are living for and that you are choosing the eternal, that which will last through eternity, over the temporal, that which will not last past your life. He says, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Now, just in case you need to take a nap or you know, phase out or, or stop paying attention, I want you to know, here's the big idea. We're going to develop this, this sermon, but the big idea is this. In life, if you want to win, you must choose the eternal over the temporal. Now, just by way of introduction, if you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let's determine what... how. Let's determine how to determine temporal versus eternal. How, you say, well, how do I know what will last longer than my life? How do I know what will be the temporal versus the, tempo, the, the uh, eternal? And I want to give you some clarifying questions to help you uh, understand that or for, to help you determine that, and maybe you can write these down. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, the passage we read this morning, Paul said this, 2 Corinthians 4.17, he says, For our light affliction which is but for a moment, worketh for us, and I want you to notice these words, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now that's, re- that's referring to the prize. That's referring to winning. He says, look, the, the light affliction of this world, he said, that's temporal. It's but for a moment. But he says, that light affliction worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Then in verse 18, he, he explains this idea between temporal and eternal. Notice what he says in verse 20, uh, excuse me, verse 18. He says, while we look not at the things which are seen. That's an interesting way of wording that. He says, look, there are things that you can see with your eyes, that you can put your eyeballs on and physically look at it. He said, but I want you to not look. He said, I want you to not look at the things which are are seen. He says, he says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. You say, Paul, you want me to not look at the things that I can see, and you want me to look at the things that I can't see? Does that make any sense? And he would say, well, when you are going to live your life for the eternal versus the temporal, you have to ask this question. You say, how do I determine what is eternal and what is temporal? And he says, here's a clarifying question for you to kind of clarify your vision in regards to that. He says, you must ask this question, is it seen? Is it seen? He says, well, we look not at the things which are seen, but are the things which are not seen. He says, you say, why? Here's why. For the things which are seen are temporal. You know your house is temporal? You know your car is temporal? You know that these clothes that you're wearing this morning are temporal? They're, they're temporary. They're for a moment. They will not last, and they will not outlast you. They're, they're just for now. He says, 
while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. And then he says this, but the things which are not seen are eternal. See, the truth is this, the things in this world that will outlast this world, those things are the things you cannot see. See, you can see a boat, you can see a motorcycle, you can see an RV, you can see a vehicle, you can see clothes, you can see all sorts, you can see this building, you can see land, you can see property. You know what you can't see? The soul of your children. You know what you can't see? The souls of mankind. You know what you can't see? And here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, if you're going to live your life in such a way that you win, that you obtain an exceeding he says, a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Then you've got to ask this question. He says, you've got to live for that which is eternal versus that which is temporal. But he says, you must ask this question to clarify, is it seen? Is it something that I can see? Then there's another question. And I'd like you to keep your place there in 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians. We're going to come back to it. But go into the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, towards the end of the New Testament, you've got all the T-books, they're all clustered together, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. Keep your place in 2nd Corinthians or 1st Corinthians, we're going to come back in that direction, but go to 1st Timothy chapter 6. Now when you get to 1st Timothy, do me a favor and put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there, because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it, okay? I'd like you to hold your place in 1st or 2nd Corinthians, and I'd like you to hold your place in 1st Timothy chapter 6, we're going to come back and forth. 1st Timothy chapter 6, this is just introduction. Clarifying questions. How do we determine the temporal versus the eternal? How do we determine the temporal versus the eternal? Well, here's one question that you should ask. Is it seen? Is it seen? Here's another question you should ask. Will it last? 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. But godliness. But godliness. And here's the thing about godliness. It's not seen. It's between you and God. But godliness with contentment is great gain. He says this, for we brought nothing into this world. He said, when you were born, when you came into this world, he said, you didn't bring anything into this world. You were born uh, naked. You were born with nothing. He said, for we brought nothing into this world. But then Paul, again, talking to Timothy, he says, but please understand something, Timothy. Though you came in with nothing, and though you may spend your life acquiring something, at the end, he says, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. Because the temporal will not last. The temporal is what we see that will not last. The eternal is what is unseen, but what will last. And the Apostle Paul and the lesson, the big idea for today is this, that if you want to win in life, if you want to win in life, go back to 1 Corinthians if you would. If you want to win in life, you must choose the eternal over the temporal. Because here's the truth, and here's the, the thing. When we choose the eternal over the temporal, here's what we're choosing. We're choosing something bigger than us, and we're choosing something that will outlast us. We're choosing something that's bigger than you and I, and we're choosing something that will last longer than you and I. So I want to give you, with that understanding and with that foundation, I'm going to give you two thoughts this morning, and that makes it sound like the sermon's going to be short, and it's not, okay? So don't get excited. I'm going to give you two thoughts with a lot of sub-thoughts under that, all right? Two thoughts regarding choosing the eternal versus the temporal. Number one, if you spend your life chasing things that have no eternal value, 
If you spend your life chasing things that have no eternal value, and I know that's a little wordy, so I'll say it for those of you taking notes, and I'd encourage you if you don't have a baby on your lap to take notes on the back of the course of the week, there's a place for you to write things down. If you spend your life, if you spend your life choosing things which have no eternal value, you need to understand this, that you will waste your life. You will waste your life. You say, how can you, how can you say that? How can you be sure of that? Well, in 1 Corinthians 3, and I want, you to, I want you to understand the context of 1 Corinthians 3 before we develop it. In 1 Corinthians 3, and we'll start at verse number 12, but I want you to understand, in 1 Corinthians 3, we have a very well-known passage dealing with the judgment seat of Christ. Now, in the Bible, there are two judgments that the Bible tells us that all mankind will take part in one of these two judgments. You've got the great white throne judgment, which is the judgment for unbelievers. This is when they will be basically judged as unsaved and cast into hell or the lake of fire. There's a second judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is the judgment that all believers will take part in. This judgment is not based on, will not determine whether you get to heaven or hell or about your salvation. If you're saved, your salvation is guaranteed in Christ. You're secure in Christ, you're saved in Christ, you're preserved in Christ. The judgment seat of Christ, the purpose of that judgment is to now look at your life and determine what did you do with your life. And your rewards, your rewards will be based on the outcome of this judgment. So with that understanding, look at verse 12. He says, now if any man build upon this foundation, and again, we didn't read the whole context, the foundation there is your life. He says, look, when you got saved, you got a foundation. You were supposed to be founded upon the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He says, now if any man upon this foundation, he says, I gave you salvation, I gave you Jesus Christ, I gave you this foundation, and then you get to build upon that foundation. He says, now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones. So I want you to know there's two categories of materials that you could build your life upon. You could build it on gold, you could build it on silver, you could build it on precious stones, or you could build it on wood, hay, and stubble. Now the idea here is this, that there is one category of materials that is much more valuable than the other. Now there's nothing wrong with wood, hay, and stubble. It's just your wife would rather get gold, silver, precious stones, right? For her birthday or Valentine's Day or whatever. Nothing wrong with wood, hay, and stubble. It's just that gold, silver, and precious stones has much more value. But there's another characteristic, and it's this, because the judgment seat of Christ is illustrated, and I don't think it's an illustration. I think this will literally happen. But it is illustrated as a big fire. God is going to turn everything that you and I accomplished on this world into these items. Gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and stubble. We can look at it and identify the fact that some of it has more value than other things. But here's the other idea. Some of it will withstand the fire better than other things. Because when you put gold or silver or precious stones into a fire, it comes out refined. When you put wood, hay, and stubble into a fire, it comes out destroyed. See, one has more value than the other, but one will last longer through the fire than the other. He says, these are the rules of the judgment seat of Christ. 
He said, you get to build upon your life right now. If you're saved, and if you're not saved, I'd encourage you, don't leave here this morning without talking to me or somebody, making sure you get saved and get your life founded upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But once that foundation has been laid, you get to decide what you will build. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. Notice verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest. On that day, it will be clear, manifest, what you gave your life to. It will be clear what I gave my life to, what we worked for and what we worked towards. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day. What day? The judgment day. The day of the judgment seat of Christ shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And I want you to notice this. Not only will the fire judge what kind of work you did, but it will also judge what sort it was, what kind of work it was. See, some people say, oh, well, I'm fine because I everything I do is for God, and I only do spiritual things for the Lord. But here's the problem. Do you know that you can do spiritual things with a bad attitude, with the wrong attitude, and God says those won't count either? Well, I serve the Lord, but you complain the whole time. Well, I serve the Lord, but you criticize and you're critical the whole time. Well, I serve the Lord, but you did it to be seen of men the whole time. Well, he says, you've got your reward. He says, it's not just the work you do, but it's the sort of work you do. He says, if any man's work abide, which he built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Do you see that in verse 14? He said, we're going to take all your work, everything you've ever done in life. Some of it's going to be gold, silver, precious stone. Some of it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. And look, everyone will have some of the wood, hay, and stubble because you can't live in this, uh, in this world without developing or without working or without doing some wood, hay, and stubble stuff. But God says, I'm going to take your gold, silver, precious stone, if you've got any, and I'm going to take your wood, hay, and stubble, and I'm going to throw it into the fire. Verse 14, if any man's work abide, if any man's work lasts, if any man's work makes it through the fire, which he had built thereupon, notice, he shall receive a reward. Here's what that means. You win. He takes all the work, all the things, all the time, energy, effort, all the things you've invested into your life. He's going to put it all into the fire. And when the fire's done, and when they put it out, whatever's left over, that's what you get rewarded for. And the only things left over will be gold, silver, precious stones. He said, I will reward you based on that, and he shall receive a reward. You win. But then in verse 15, he says this. If any man's work shall be burnt, he shall suffer loss. What does that mean? It means you lose. It means that he's going to put all your work, all your energy, all your effort into this fire. And if it's all burnt up, you lose. Now, does that mean you go to hell? No. Notice he says, but he himself shall be saved. So at least you still get to go to heaven because you didn't have to work for heaven. Because if you had to work to heaven, some of you would be in trouble, right? (laughs) In fact, all of us would be in trouble. He says, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And I'm not preaching about this this morning, but let me just go ahead and make this quick note. That proves that you can be saved and do no works. Uh, If you're saved, you'll have works. Not according to the judgment seat of Christ instructions. Because God says there are some people that are saved and all of their work, everything they ever put energy, time, resources into in their life, all of it will get burnt up. And Jesus Christ will say, you lose. He shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, 
yet so as by fire. And here's the point that I'm making. If you spend your life chasing things that have no eternal value, you will waste your life. You will waste your life. Because in order to win, in order to win, you must give yourself to that which is eternal versus that which is temporal. And that which is temporal, look, and, and, and here's what people sometimes don't understand, and I, I pray that God helps me make this point. You're there in 1 Corinthians. Keep your place there. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 in the Old Testament. Right in the center of your Bible, you have Psalms, Ecclesiastes 2. When you give yourself to that which is eternal, when you give yourself to that which is eternal, what you're doing is you're giving yourself to something that is bigger than you and something that will outlast you. And here's what you need to understand. Your life, your life, and you young people, I hope you'll listen to what I'm telling you right now. Your life is too valuable for you to waste it on yourself. Do you understand what I just said? Your life, it's too valuable to be wasted on self. And when you give your life to that which is temporal, when you give your life to self, you lose. But when you give your life to that which is eternal, God says, then you get to invest your life in something that's bigger than you and something that will outlast you. You say, why should I care? Here's why. Because if you spend your life chasing things that have no eternal value, you will waste your life. Because if you spend your time, if you spend your days, if you spend your youth, if you spend your energy, if you spend your wisdom, your resources, your intellect, your opportunities, if you spend your life chasing things that have no eternal value, you will waste your life. You say, well, uh, I'm, I'm willing to, you know, Take that wager, because at least I'll have fun while I'm here. Well, here's the second truth you need to understand, and it's this. If you spend your life chasing things that have no eternal value, you will hate your life. Oh, well, if I live for self, at least I'll be happy. Oh, really? Is that what all these Hollywood stars that keep killing themselves, is that what that's taught you? All these rock and roll stars that keep committing suicide, is that, is that what they thought? Is that what happened with them? Is that what happened with Robin Williams? Is that what happened with Michael Jackson? Is that what happened with all these Whitney Houston? Is that what happened with all these famous people who had riches and wealth and fame? They had everything to live for, and yet they did not want to live? See, when you spend your life, when you spend your life chasing things that have no eternal value, you will waste your life. But on top of that, you must understand that when you spend your life chasing things that have no eternal value, you will hate your life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we have an example, and I've preached this before, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I want you to see it. We have an example of a man who gave himself to chase all things temporal, all things that are not eternal. He's a man by the name of Solomon, very successful man, very wealthy man. Now, I want you to notice what Solomon said about his own life. In Ecclesiastes 2, we have an old man, Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, writing for us about his life. And I want you to notice what he says. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 1. I said in mine heart, this is his confession, Solomon's confession. I said in mine heart, go to now and I will prove thee with myrrh. Therefore, enjoy pleasure and behold, this also is vanity. 
I said, of laughter. It is mad and of myrrh. What doeth it? And here's what, what Solomon is saying. He's saying, I gave my life. I gave my time. He said, I said in mine heart that I would give myself. He said, I will prove thee with myrrh and enjoy pleasure. Here we have a man who was chasing pleasure, pleasure in his life. And here's what he said. Here's what he found. He found that it was empty. Behold, this also is vanity. The word vanity means empty. He says, look, I gave myself. He said, he said young people. And the book of Ecclesiastes is actually written to young people. And he says, I'm an old man. Let me give you some advice. We talked about that with the teenagers on Friday. He said, I'm an old man. Let me give you some advice. Because I actually gave my life to pursue pleasure, to pursue mirth, to pursue laughter. He said, I gave myself to that. And let me just tell you what I found. He said, I found that this is this also is vanity. He said, it was empty. It was not what I thought it would be. Then he says in verse 3, I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine. He said, okay, well, I tried pleasure and myrrh and laughter, and that was empty. So then I thought, okay, I'll just give myself to wine. Here's what he says. He says, look, when you chase in your life drugs and alcohol, you know what you'll find? Nothing good. It'll be empty. I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainted mine heart with wisdom. And to lay hold on folly, till I might see that it was good for the sons of men which they should do under heaven all the days of their life. Notice verse 4. He says, I made me great works. He said, I, I tried pleasure. That didn't work. I tried wine, and I was put in there. Drugs and alcohol. That didn't work. He said, okay, well, how about things? I'll live for possessions. I'll live to acquire toys, to have the next big, the shiniest gadget. I'll work for things. He said, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. And I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water to water there with the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and made servants. And as servants born in my house, also I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. He said, I had more stuff than anybody. He said, they had an Amazon delivery truck just for me. He said, I got it all, I had it all, and I had above all that were in Jerusalem before me. He says, you know what, I also chased money. Look at verse 8. I gathered me also silver and gold. And the peculiar treasures of kings and of provinces. He says, I also chase entertainment. I got me men singers and women singers and delights of the sons of man as musical instruments of uh, that uh, uh, and that of all sorts. He said, I, I chase success. Notice verse 9. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained in me. And he says, now that I'm an old man and I've spent my life chasing everything and anything that anyone thinks will make you happy, entertainment, possessions, money, wine, it's not in this list. He chased women, 700 wives, 300 concubines. He said, you know where it all left me? You know where it all left me? Verse 10. He said, and whatsoever mine eye desired, I kept not from them. And today in this world, people say, well, that sounds like a great life, doesn't it? I mean, to have the freedom and the resources and the ability and the authority to do whatever you want. Well, Solomon says, I live that life. 
Solomon says, I love that life. He says, and whatsoever mine eye desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Say, well, where did it leave you, Solomon? Here's where it left in verse 17. Therefore, I hated life. Therefore, I hated life. Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. Here's why. Here's why. For all is vanity. And vexation of spirit. And here's what Solomon is telling us. Here's what he's saying. When you live for your life, for self, at the end, all you have is yourself. He says, when you live your life for self, he says it's empty. It's lonely. It's vanity and vexation of spirit because your life is more valuable than to be wasted on yourself. Go to Matthew chapter number 16, if you would. Matthew 16, first book in the New Testament. It should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter 16. See, if you want to win at life, you must choose the eternal versus the temporal. You say, why? Here's why. Because spending your life chasing things that have no eternal value will waste your life, and spending your life chasing things that have no eternal value will make you hate your life. And you say, I disagree with that. I don't think so. I, I think you're wrong about that. I think that money and things and alcohol and all this will make me happy. Well, go ahead and try it. Go ahead and waste your life. You'll get to the end of your life like Solomon and say, I hated life. In Matthew 16, verse 26, we have this very famous verse, very well-known verse, and it's usually applied to unbelievers, and it should be applied to unbelievers. It says this, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And we'll say, what is a man profited? What is the profit in getting the whole world? You got it all, and you lost your own soul. Now, we usually apply that to unbelievers, and it should be applied to unbelievers. But the problem with that verse, and, and there's nothing wrong with the verse, but the problem with our uh, interpretation or latching on of that verse is that as believers, we'll say, well, yeah, that's talking about somebody who's unsaved. If they gain the whole world and they lose their own soul, they die and go to hell, then there was no profit there. I'm going to gain the whole world and still go to heaven. I mean, the judgment seat of Christ will be kind of embarrassing, but whatever. But do you know that there's a Christian version or a believing version of that same verse? Because Jesus as a preacher repeated himself often. If you came to our church for any length of time, you'll know that I often say the same things, maybe in different ways or whatever. He repeated himself and he applied it in different ways. Matthew 16, 26 is the most famous version of this where it's applied to unbelievers. He says, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? But let me show you the Christian version of this same principle. Luke chapter 9. You're there in Matthew? Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 9. This one's not as well known. Same principle, just applied to someone who's going to go to heaven when they die. Applied to someone that's going to go to heaven when they die, no matter what they do, they're secure in Christ, eternally secure. Luke 9.25. Here's what Jesus said. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself? Or be a castaway. See, Paul, Paul said this, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. And here's what that means. That means I get disqualified. It's not talking about losing your salvation. Because remember, the idea is we're running a race. He said, what's the point of running a race if at the end of the race you get at the end and they say, uh, you're disqualified. You don't win. Here's what that means. You lose. 
Jesus said, for what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose, and lose himself or be a castaway? See, the problem with chasing things that are no eternal value is that you will waste your life. And the problem with chasing things that have no eternal value is that you will hate your life. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 if you would. I'm not sure if you kept your place in 1 Timothy. I asked you to keep your place there. If you did, just one book over, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let me give you the flip side to this. Here's the flip side. If you spend your life investing in things that do have eternal value. I know that's a little wordy, so I'll say it again. If you spend your life investing in things that do have eternal value. If you spend your life investing in things that do have eternal value. Say, what do I get? Here's what you get. You will end your life knowing that you fought in the right fight. Now, let me explain that. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, we have Paul. Now, we saw Solomon at the end of his life, and it didn't turn out very well for him. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we have Paul, again, an old man at this point, at the end of his life. And I want you to notice what he said. He said this. He said, I have fought a good fight. He said, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. He goes on to talk about the fact that henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will give me in that day. He says, look, I ended my life and I'm happy about it. He said, I ended my life and I have fought a good fight. Now again, kind of like with Matthew and Luke, this phrase, fought a good fight, this is the famous version of it. 2 Timothy 4.7, I have fought a good fight. And... In this version of it, which there's nothing wrong with it, it could be identified or interpreted in different ways. And in fact, usually, as far as I can tell, when I've heard people talk about this, they'll say, see, Paul said he fought a good fight. He gave it his effort. He did his best. And they'll say, the good there is referring to Paul's fight or his energy in it. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, because I definitely believe that Paul would want you to so run that you may obtain. But I would submit to you that the word good there is not a description. It's not a description of Paul's fighting ability, but it is a description of the fight that he got involved in. You say, what do you mean? Well, go go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Notice how it's worded in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. Notice what the Bible says. He says, fight. Remember, he said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have fought a good fight. Here he's telling Timothy, and he says, Timothy, fight. He doesn't say, fight well. He doesn't say, make sure you fight good. I know that's not proper. He says, fight the good fight of faith. See, he's saying, it's not, it's not necessary. He said, I want you to fight well. But he said, you know what's more important than fighting well? What's more important than fighting well is that you fight in the right fight. He says, there's a good fight and there's a bad fight. He says, make sure, make sure you fight in the good fight. There's a, there's a game that my wife and I like to play. We'll often play with friends. It's called Phase 10. It's a card game, and for those of you that are ultra-spiritual, let me explain to you. It's not poker cards, okay? We're Baptists, all right? Bless God. It's, it's like the Uno cards, you know, like that type of card game. And, uh, you know, we'll play this game, and the way the game works is that there's ten phases, and, and you're supposed to create these certain arrangements to be able to move through the phases, and in these arrangements, you'll have, 
you know, it'll tell you that you're supposed to get uh, a set of three cards that match and a run. A run would be cards that run together, like two, three, four, six, seven, eight. So you'll you'll be told to, you know, do four cards that match and five cards that have a run or whatever. And every phase has a different thing that you're supposed to be doing. So as you're going through it, you're supposed to be using strategy and picking up certain cards and, and skipping certain people and doing certain things in order to play this game. And part of it is just being fortunate that you maybe pick up the right card or whatever, but you, you play this game. And what happens, it's a really long game. You know, it'll take like three hours to go through these phases or whatever. And sometimes as you're playing this game and you're kind of fellowshipping or whatever, you get distracted. This has happened to me, and I've seen it happen to many players. I think if you play this game long enough, it'll happen to everybody. And you'll get distracted, and you might forget what phase you're on. And you might spend an entire round, you know, and it's always kind of a bad feeling when you, when you get, when you've accomplished your phase, and you've got, you know, it took you a long time, and you're able to survive through it, and you've got your two sets of four cards that match, and you put them down just to find out you're supposed to be getting a run of seven. And you were just in the wrong phase. You were pursuing the wrong phase. You've got your run of seven and you're supposed to get, be getting cards that are all of the same color. And here's the thing. You played well. You played the round well. You used your mind and you skipped the right person at the right time and you picked up the right card and you made sure you faked people out so they don't mess you up. You played well. You were just playing well in the wrong phase. You know that some people are going to get to the end of their lives and they're going to put all the cards down and we're going to find out that you fought well in the wrong fight. You fought well. You played well. You ran well. But you're disqualified. You're cast out. Because you were playing. You were playing for the wrong fight. See, Paul says, Paul says, When you spend your life investing in things that do have eternal value, you get to the end of your life knowing that you fought in the right fight. He said, I fought the good fight. Let me go ahead and pick on football since Super Bowl is coming up, and I don't know why they always play that stupid game on a Sunday, but they always do. And people, you know, people give their lives to football. I mean, football is, people worship it like an idol, and it's just like football game. You know, you're coming to church? No, got to go worship football. Is your pastor, are you against football? I'm not against playing football. You say, are you against watching? Well, here's what I would ask you. Will it last? Does it matter? I mean, have you thought about that? You know that whoever, you say, my favorite teams are playing in the Super Bowl. I don't even know what teams are playing in the Super Bowl. But do you realize that whoever wins the Super Bowl this year, it will have no, it will have no effect on anything. That's right. Period. It doesn't matter who won last year. It doesn't matter who won 10 years ago. You don't even know who won 15 years ago because it doesn't matter. And here's, and here's, all, I'm t- here's all I'm telling you. You can say, oh, well, I just gave myself to football and I was there for every game and I went and I had the season tickets and I did it. And look, you may be the best football fan that ever lived and you had the jersey and you even took your shirt off and painted your belly and you got all those things, right? And you, you, you knew all the stats and you got it all and you'll get to the end of your life and realize... It didn't matter. You fought well. You're just in the wrong fight. You got your run of seven. But you're supposed to be getting two sets of four. And you did well. You did well. But in that which was temporal. And look, you can apply whatever. 
People chase their business, business success, business success. I'm going to build this business. I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And you, you do well. You fight well. You could write books and instruct people and tell people all about how well you did. And you'll get to heaven and realize that it was all a waste. Because when you give your life, when you give your life to that which is eternal, you have the security of knowing that you will end your life knowing you fought in the right fight. And here's all I'm telling you, and I've said this before, and I just want you to, to understand it. At the end of your life, on your deathbed, you will not be sitting there wishing. I just wish. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 80-something years old. I'm 90-something years old. I'm getting ready to die. I've got my spouse here next to me. I've got my children and my grandchildren next to me. And you know, the biggest regret of my life is that I didn't work more overtime. You think that's what you're going to say? I just never went on that cruise. You think that's what you're going to say? I just really wanted to live in that neighborhood. I never, you know what you people get to the end of their lives and say? I wish I would spend more time with my kids. I, I wish I would have paid more attention to my wife. I, I wish I would have done more for God in my life. Why? Because at the end of your life, only that which is done for Christ will last. And you can give yourself to that which is important. And to some extent, we have to, and we don't have a choice. We live in this world, and we have to do it. But you will win at life if you can get to the end of that judgment seat of Christ and have more gold, precious, uh, silver, and precious stones than wood, hay, and stubble. So if you want to win, here's all I'm telling you, if you want to win, you have to give yourself to that which is eternal versus that which is temporal. Now the difficult thing is this, that we see the temporal and we don't see the eternal. See, we don't see the effect that it has on our relationships, Dad, when you work late every night and skip dinner with your kids. You don't see that effect, but that's eternal. You don't see the effect... Husband, that your relationship has on your wife when you ignore her for football or work or whatever stupid thing you're doing. You don't see that effect, but it's eternal. Mom, you don't see the effect that it has on your children when you drop them off at a daycare. When God gave you those children to love and raise and you hand them to a stranger to love and raise for you so that you can work a job, so that you can live in that nice house or drive that nice car or take that one vacation. You don't see the effects, but that's eternal and not temporal. See, the point is this. If you want to win at life, you want to win at life, you must spend your life investing in those things that have eternal value And you can, like Paul, get to the end and say, I know, I know that I fought. I didn't just fight a good fight. I fought in the good fight. I fought in the right fight, in the correct fight. Go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. In the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts chapter 20. So what do I get if I spend my life investing in things that do have eternal value? Here's what you get. You will end your life knowing you fought in the right fight. And you will end your life. You will end your life glad that you fought in the right fight. 
Remember Solomon? I hated my life. And look, please know this. If you're observant, if you just pay attention, you don't have to get to the end of your life to realize that people that are chasing the wrong thing are miserable. You can watch them now. I mean, look, I'd I'd rather, and I'm not saying that this is me. I'm I'm hoping that this is us, and I'm hoping we can do this. But look, I'd rather live in a a house that no one covets and no one is impressed by, and people think, wow, I would think that a pastor would live in a nicer house than that. (laughs) You know, I'd rather drive a vehicle that everybody's kind of like, ah, you know, when's that thing going to break down? And we're like, hey, every time we get in that thing, or it's by faith, you know. I'd rather, look, and I'm not complaining, I'm just saying, I'd rather live that way and have the time to invest in my wife and in my children and in the ministry and things that matter. And then you look at people and they're like just working away and working away and they live in a really nice house. But their kids are a mess. Undisciplined, rebellious, the relationships, they're just angry and bitter and it's just kind of like you get around them and you just kind of, they're like, hey brother, how you doing? But it's kind of toxic and you don't have to get to the end of your life to realize that people who give themselves to themselves at the end will have nothing to show but themselves. And your life is way too precious to live for yourself. So you should live for that which is eternal. That which is bigger than you and that which will outlast you. And you know what happens? You know what happens? You get at the end of your life, you get to the end of your life knowing you fought in the right fight and you get to the end of your life glad that you did. Acts 20 verse 24, notice what Paul says. He says, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course. But here's the key words. With joy. Really, Paul? You're happy? You're a tent maker, you're broke, you're always in prison, you're always getting attacked, you're always getting persecuted. He says, you know, when you give your life to something better and bigger than yourself, you end up happy. So on one side you've got Paul saying that I might finish my course with joy. On the other side you've got Solomon saying, I hated my life. Here's all I'm telling you, here's all I'm telling you, the choice is yours. Do you want to win? Do you want to win? then you must give yourself. Then you must give yourself to the eternal. Then you must give yourself to the eternal versus the temporal. Now, I, I've, got, I've got just a little bit of time. I want to do this just real quickly. If you would allow me to, I'd appreciate it. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If you're there in Acts, you've got Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Here's what we've learned so far. We've learned this. If you're going to win, you must give yourself to the eternal versus the temporal. You say, how do I determine what is eternal versus temporal? Ask yourself these clarifying questions. What is seen and what will last? What is seen and what will last? Because the temporal is the life that lives for self, and the eternal is the life that lives for something greater than self. The temporal life will end with self, and the eternal life will invest in things that last, that outlast self. Here's what we learned. We learned that when you spend your life chasing things that have no eternal value, you will waste your life, and you will hate your life. And we learned that when you spend your life investing in things that do have eternal value, you will end your life knowing that you fought in the right fight, and you'll be glad you did. So just real quickly, just by conclusion, let me give you three areas that you should choose the eternal over the temporal. There are three areas in your life that whenever you're getting engaged in these three areas, you got to ask yourself, what is the eternal? What is the eternal? I need to clarify what is the eternal versus the temporal because in these three areas, and look, it should be in every area, but in at least these 
three areas you must make sure that you're investing yourself in the eternal versus the poor. You say, what are they? Number one, in regards to your time. Ephesians 5.15, see then that you walk circumspectly. The word circumspect or circumspectly means cautiously or well-considered. He says, not as fools. Here's what fools do. They walk not circumspectly, not cautiously, not well-considered. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. You say, why? Here's why. Verse 16, redeeming the time. Because your time has value. Your time has value. It's just, a normal, uh, it's just a simple economic principle. Your time is limited. That which is limited is a value. That which is limited is a value. He says, redeeming the time because your days are evil. Colossians 4 and verse 5. Are there any Ephesians? Just go past Philippians to Colossians. Colossians 4 and verse 5. Colossians 4 and verse 5. The Bible says this. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. When it comes, look, when it comes to your time, you must choose the eternal. When you're going to invest time into something, you gotta ask yourself, does this have any eternal value? Or is this temporal? And look, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with things that are temporal. But you gotta ask yourself. I, I've had people tell me over the years, Pastor. I can't come out soul winning on Saturdays because that's when I do my gardening. Well, nothing wrong with gardening. Gardening's great. You can get a tomato out of it. It saves you, I don't know, 50 cents or something. I'm not sure. My wife does the grocery shopping. Nothing wrong with gardening. Nothing simple gardening. But when you say, man, I've got an hour and a half. What can I do? I can focus on my gardening or I can go tell an ever-living soul that they can have eternal life. It just seems to me, it just seems to me that if you were to ask the question, how could I invest my time wisely here? You would invest in that which is eternal. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with gardening. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with gardening. Here's all I'm saying. Make sure, make sure. And, and look, you could put whatever, you put whatever category in there, bowling, golfing, uh, hiking, do whatever you want, hunting, put it all in there. Here's all I'm telling you. Here's all I'm saying. When you wake up in the morning and you say, I could read my nine chapters a day, which will feed my soul and help me get through life right with God, or I could check Facebook. It just seems to me that if you, when, when you're going to invest your time, if you ask yourself, what is the eternal? I could sit here and watch TV for two hours, or I could spend time with my sons, my daughters, my wife. I, I could stay home and watch the Grammys, or I could go to church and hear a sermon from the Word of God. It just seems to me that if you were to think about what has eternal value, it would clarify the things that you must do in life, and at the end, you would win. So when it comes to your time, regarding your time, you must choose the eternal over the temporal when it comes to your time. This is why uh, uh, Moses said, and you have to turn there. In fact, I'd like you to go to Matthew 25. First book in the New Testament should be fairly easy to find. Matthew 25. Here's what Moses said. He said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. He said, I need to know that my time is valuable so that I can use it wisely. So that I can use it wisely. So when it comes to choosing the eternal over the temporal, you must choose the eternal over the temporal regarding your time. Here's the second area. You must choose the eternal over the temporal regarding your talents. 
regarding your talents. I'm not going to take the time to develop. There's this big old parable, Matthew 25, parable of talents. You could preach a whole sermon out of this parable. I'm not going to do it. If you're probably familiar with it, we have the Lord who gives his servants different talents, different resources and abilities. They're all expected to do something with it. I just wanted you to focus in on the last one, verse 18. But he that had received one, and the talent in the story represents your ability, your skills, your resources, your opportunities. He says, but he that had received one went and digged it in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with him. That's the day of judgment. That's the judgment seat of Christ. God has given you a talent, whether it's five or two or one. Whatever it is, he's given you a talent and he expects you to do something with it. And some of us are burying it in the dirt and doing nothing with it. Notice verse 24. And he which had received the one talent came and said to the Lord, said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest to have therefore uh, to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. And here's what he's saying. Here's all he's saying. He's saying is this. God gave you a talent, an ability, a skill, a resource. He gave you brains. He gave you strength. Whatever it is you got, he gave you opportunities. And he expects you to use those for him. Now, he doesn't mind if you use it for yourself. And I don't have time to develop this. We could preach a whole sermon on talents and gifts. The Bible actually says that God gives you spiritual gifts. And he allows you, God allows you to use that out in the secular world, in the workplace, to make money. He's like, I'm okay with you using my gifts. For the secular, just make sure you also use it for the spiritual. And what we often end up doing is we take the gifts, the opportunities, the talents, the resources, the the skills that God has given us, and we use them for self, and we never use it for Him. And here's what I'm telling you. You go out there and make money. Make money. Use your communication skills. Use your wisdom. Use your people skills. Use whatever skills you've got. God's given you talents and ability. Use it to make money. And to survive and to buy a house and to do whatever you got to do. But you know what? Make sure you also use it for God. Make sure you don't forget about God who gave you the strength to get wealth. We must choose the eternal over the temporal regarding our time. And we must choose the eternal over the temporal regarding our talents. Let me just give you a last one. We'll finish up. Go to Matthew chapter 6. You're there. Matthew 25. Just flip a few pages back. Matthew 6. You must choose the eternal over the temporal when it comes to our treasure. Matthew six nineteen, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth. Now look, the Bible's not against you making money and having money, and God uses a lot of people in the Bible that had money. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with you having money. The problem is that sometimes money has us. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. And he says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. He said, look, the overarching goal of your life should not be to just lay up as much money as possible. Lay up, lay up, lay up. I had somebody tell me one time, my goal in life is to be a millionaire. I thought to myself, you will quit on God eventually, and sure enough, they did. He says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth. You say, why? Here's why. Where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. He said, why are you running for a corruptible crown? It's not going to last. And he says this, verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. He says this, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And he's just teaching this principle and saying, look, look, in life, in life. We have to live in this temporal world. We understand that. You're going to have some wood, hay, and stubble. We understand that. But you got to live for the eternal. If you want to win at life, we learned last week, you have to determine what winning even looks like. What does it look like to win? But on top of that, there's a layer. There's a layer that says we must choose the eternal over the temporal. Now, next week, next week, we're going to add a third layer over that. I'll just go ahead and give you the sermon for next week so some of you can go ahead and skip church and watch football or whatever you're into. Next week, we're going to learn that we must choose the ultimate over the immediate. And we'll learn that we must deny self to win at life. So I want to encourage you to stick with us. Stay with us as we learn these principles for how to win at life. And here's all I'm telling you. Here's all I'm telling you. If you take these truths from the Bible and apply them to your life, you'll get to the end of your life like the Apostle Paul and be glad you did. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for these passages and these principles in Scripture. And Lord, I just pray you'd help us, Lord. I pray you'd help us because for all of us, there is always a temptation to live for self, to live for the temporal, to live for things that have no eternal value. And Lord, I pray you'd help us in certain areas in our life, in important areas in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live for the eternal. To give our lives to that which is bigger than us and which will outlast us. In the matchless name of Christ we pray. Amen.